seated. I hope that song rings true for your life, that you see God as holy and that you adore him. Today's message I'm, I'm very excited about perhaps because this, this uh, passage of scripture that we're in is very important to me. In fact, I have actually wrote this message years ago um, as I was processing some things that God was doing in my own life. And let's see if I can make sure I get the, the mic going on, on my lapel here or my uh, hip. All right. And as I said, I was processing quite a bit in my own life, which led me to write and share this message. And over the years, I've just continuously come back to this message because I realize how much I think not only do I need to hear it, but others need to hear it because I think in very many ways it will help you process um, some of the struggles that we deal with in life. You know, today during our congregational prayer time, uh, like many times throughout our, our history here in the church, we're presenting needs to the Lord. And of course, uh, it doesn't go unnoticed on any of us how many needs are present with all that happened within the last few weeks of our country, of the violence and the people's lives who were taken and just the fallout of what that means for so many people. And while I think this message could be a hard message to hear because in some ways it confronts our own situation, I think if we at least take the time to listen to these words and apply it to our own lives, that it could hopefully change the perspective on how we process the expectations that we put on ourselves, others, and most importantly, the expectations that we put on God. But before we enter into our time of, of hearing from this message, uh, I want us to, to have a moment of prayer. So if you would, bow your heads and close your eyes once more with me as we continue to prepare our hearts to receive God's Word. So Lord, that is our desire, that we would receive your Word today, that you would use me um, as an instrument to be able to speak your truth to the congregation right now, Father. Lord, you, I, you know already that I've been wrestling with what I have to present today because I realize that this is something that is so applicable to us in this current day and age, especially as us as Westerners who often fail to understand what you are doing and, and, and why you are doing it. So as we speak about these important matters today, I pray that you give us ears to hear what you are saying and eyes to see what you are doing. We ask these things in Jesus' name. And God's people said, 
Amen, amen. All right, so we are going to be shifting gears a little bit here. Uh, Typically, we're in the book of Acts, uh, but we're not going to be in the book of Acts today. In fact, we're going to be in the book of John. So for this whole entire Holy Week, we're going to hit pause on the book of Acts, and we're going to enter into select and special scriptures that I think really honor this time of our year. You see, Holy Week is is a concerted moment where, where we take specific and special time to reflect on the last portions of Jesus's life, really the last week of his life leading up to his death and eventually his resurrection, which is the reason why we celebrate that even till today. So again, we're going to be in John chapter 11 today. In 2010, which was Roughly 11 years ago, uh, my family was going through a tragedy. I'm sure some of you have experienced your own family tragedies, uh, but my family was going through something that we had never experienced before, at least within our small circle of a family of four. My sister was expecting her second child, and... um, We were all excited about that. We were happy to be welcoming this child. We found out that it was going to be a girl. She already had a boy, so she was so excited about about expecting this child. But shortly after um, her pregnancy, around month three or so, she started to realize that there was going to be some complications. In fact, the doctors said that there were some issues with the child's heart, and they weren't sure if the baby was going to make it to full term. So they gave her the option of, of considering abortion, but being the kind of people that we are where we, 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 we don't believe in that, um, we believe that every life is sacred. My, my sister wanted to, to see it through and see if the Lord could work a miracle in her womb, as we've heard before. So all of us began to pray, and the close friends of the family began to pray, and we looped our church into it, who also began to pray for my sister. Unfortunately, during that time, there were some people who who told my sister that if you just believed enough, if you had enough faith, that God would answer your prayer and hear, hear this child, which is something I don't believe is fair to do to anybody. Because ultimately, these, these things, and, and, and especially children in the womb of a woman, is, is, is really the Lord's work. So we started to pray, and we continued to pray, and we got moments where we felt like things were moving in a positive direction, but it was kind of the situation where you take one step forward and two steps back, but the baby continued to survive in the womb about until month five or six came along. And unexpectedly, the child passed away. Any of you that know of a woman who has gone through a situation like this will know that it's not just a snap of the fingers, your child is gone. No, then you have to enter into delivering a child that no longer has life. I remember my sister telling me in that moment as she reflected back to to being able to deliver that child how difficult it was, and it was just as hard as any other child she ever gave birth to. If anything, it was more difficult realizing that 
she wouldn't be able to celebrate that moment, but every single concerted effort to, to push would be one that would lead to tragedy. I think what was hard for me personally, and I know that there are so many things that our family members were processing, especially my sister, but what was hard for me in particular was I believed that the Lord was going to heal this child. My sister named this little girl Leah, and I believed that God was going to heal Leah, and it was so hard for me to hear any bad news from the doctor because I just did not want to accept it. I had the faith to know that God could make a difference. I was in so much denial that even after the delivery, I was still praying and pleading with God to resuscitate this child and to bring it back to life and to perform a miracle, just like he did for Lazarus and so many other people that we see in Scripture. Maybe you know a similar story for someone in your own life, or maybe this story is similar to your own. Well, it was that same year that I performed my first funeral that I've ever done in my life. And as you can imagine, it was a difficult service for me. One, because if you think I'm young now, I was younger 11 years ago. <laughs> and I didn't really know what to do. But all I knew is that my family needed to have a service, and that we needed to honor this child's life no matter how short it was. Since that time, or at least since being pastor here at Peace Mennonite, I've performed five funeral services in, this, in the short time that I've been pastor here at Peace Mennonite. And I'll tell you what, as much as it is an honor to have uh, the opportunity to, to lead a funeral service and to give a message and do all these details and to in some ways celebrate many men and women who have finished well, death is always a reminder of the frailty of life how we're here one day and gone the next, and how ultimately our expectations in life sometimes fail us, right? Which is the title of today's message, Expectations That Fail Us. We're going to be looking specifically in the life of Lazarus. You know, as we look at his life, though, I want to encourage you in this moment to not think of Lazarus as just the cute story that maybe you've heard in children's church or maybe that you've heard in a sermon at another time or that you've read yourself because you see I've mentioned this before but oftentimes what happens is when we read scripture or, or, or we hear stories of scripture we forget to realize that these were real people that were struggling, suffering, dealing with temptation, dealing with doubt, and in the midst of their own forms of tragedy. You see, it's so easy to read Scripture and just know, well, God loves us, and this is the Bible, so I'm sure everything will work out the way that it should. 
And we really end up doing a disservice to God's Word because we fail to grasp the humanity that is in there and how much we can actually relate to the struggles that we see within Scripture. So I want to encourage you in this time that as I preach this message and talk about this man, Lazarus, that you would put yourself in the story and allow the emotions and the struggles and and just everything that this story touches on to to come into your own life. So I'm giving you permission today to feel the sermon and to feel the emotions that the people would feel no matter how sad or tragic they may be. Because I think if you do that, this message will have a lasting impression on your life. Could you do that for me today? Thank you. So again, we are in John chapter 11. A little bit of context with John chapter 11. Um, I want to show you the map here and, and talk to you a little bit about it. So, so John chapter 11, really what is going on, and I know, I know it's hard to see. Uh, I didn't do any circles this week, so I apologize about that. But the southern region of the map there, okay, is th- that is... That area over there is where Jerusalem is. So if you look and see the Dead Sea right there, and you move uh, left of it, right? So you, you move left of the Dead Sea there, traveling west, you'll see Judea, and just above that is Jerusalem. So Jerusalem is the city that ultimately Jesus gets crucified in, and we'll talk more about on Friday and Sunday of this upcoming week. So Lazarus and his family were in a city there called Bethany that was just outside of Jerusalem, around two miles or so outside of Jerusalem. And Jesus was in the Transjordan area. So that is a northern journey. Uh, Jordan is north of Jerusalem quite a way. So it was about a two-day journey to be able to travel from uh, Transjordan back down to Jerusalem. So that's kind of the map of where we are in this story. So John 11, 1 says this, Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her, and her sister Martha. Okay, I'm, now I'm going to flip to my own Bible because I just realized the ink ran out on my paper. <laughs> this Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. Okay? So the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Okay? So... When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. Hear hear these words well. So this is Jesus talking. He says, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. I want you to remember a couple of things here. So one, um, uh, Lazarus is the person that Jesus loves, and then the other one is, is that Jesus affirms these messengers that are sent to him that his, 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 his life will not end in death, okay? His life will not end in death. Why is that important? Well, first off, who is the person Lazarus? Lazarus was the brother of Mary and Martha. Do you guys remember Mary and Martha in Scripture? 
So it, it just reminded you in verse 3 that, that Mary was the one that wiped Jesus' feet with her hair. Mary's most likely also the one that was sitting at Jesus' feet while Martha was doing what? She was being a busybody and working on other things and, 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 and criticized Mary for, for sitting at Jesus' feet. While we don't know this for sure, it's likely that Mary could have been also the same one that Jesus rescued from prostitution, but we're not certain of that. So this family, nonetheless, has some history with Jesus, and Scripture here is affirming this, this, this history and re- affirming this relationship by saying that Lazarus was somebody that it was special to Jesus, that Jesus loved him, that he kind of referred to him as, as this person that he loved. So is it safe to say that, that Lazarus was was in some ways um, a follower of Jesus up until this point, most likely. Now, I want you to, to now enter into the shoes of what it would have been like to hear the words of Jesus. If, if you, in your own situation, were going through a tragedy, and you heard Jesus say to you that this sickness would not end in death, no, it is for God's glory, wouldn't that encourage you, right? Wouldn't that uplift your spirits and, and cause you to have almost a sense of relief? But listen to what happens next in Scripture, because what happens next is very peculiar. Now, what happens next, is it comes in verse 5, it says, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So Scripture, again, is affirming that Jesus really cares about these people. Now, this shouldn't be a surprise, right? Because most of us realize that Jesus loves people. We hear verses like John 3.16, for God so loved the world, and there's not really that much debate even outside of the church that Jesus was a good person that loved people, but listen to what happens next, because I personally don't understand it. At least when I was first reading this, it took me a while to understand why God was doing this, and I kind of glanced over it and, and, and struggled here. So verse 6 says, so when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he went immediately to Lazarus to help him out. Does it say that? No. What does it say? It says, so when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. So scripture just went to great lengths to to say that Jesus loved Lazarus, that Jesus loved this family, and it says that repeatedly, but it says that when Jesus heard that he was sick, what did he do? He stayed where he was at. Now, I don't know about you, I don't know how you would handle a situation like this, but if I heard at all that my mother, that my father, that my son, that whomever in my life that I love deeply and dearly was sick, you better believe I'm taking the next plane ticket, I'm taking the next bus ride, I'm doing whatever I can to get there as quickly as possible, and nobody is going to stop me from from doing it. 
that I will do whatever it takes to be able to get to where I need to be in order to be of aid to my family, especially if I have it within my own power to change the outcome of the situation, which Jesus has the power, right, to change the outcome of this situation. So why does Jesus stay where he's at? It does not make sense. And here is an example of how we sometimes read over Scripture and we're not paying close attention enough to see the power of this story. Is Jesus a liar? Does he really love Lazarus the way that Scripture is trying to affirm? While we don't always want to admit it, these are the kinds of things that we become tempted to think, right? Why would Jesus, being God, give a message of hope that Lazarus would not die, but then he stays where he's at? And in fact, Lazarus dies. Now, to, to confuse us any, even more, he ends up dying during the time that Jesus is just staying put. Now, I want you to think about your own life or maybe somebody that you know. Do you have a story that's a little similar? Or maybe you've heard from a pastor or, or just affirmed in your own life God's love for you. You know, I preach uh, uh, up here regularly that Jesus loves you. And I tell you this, and you take it seriously, and you apply it to your life, but and then something happens to you in your own life situation, and you kind of wonder to yourself and say, I don't get it. I don't get why my family member got cancer. I don't get why this family member died unexpectedly. I don't get how, why I lost my job before the Christmas season. I don't get why, and you fill in the blank. We have a lot of moments like this, right? Where we just really don't get it. We want to believe that God loves us. But yet, when we feel like He's supposed to do a certain thing and something else happens that we aren't expecting, it has a way of wounding us and hurting us and causing us to, to call into question God's character, does it not? I hope you are being as honest as I'm trying to be right now in, in, in confessing that there are multiple times in my life where I struggle with this, where I don't get it, even as a pastor, even as somebody who's written this message and preached it before. I still have moments where I just don't fully understand. The truth is, is that our expectations oftentimes fail us. 
See, I believe that Jesus was speaking the truth. He said this sickness would not, emphasize, would not end in death. But the reality is, is that we didn't understand, or at least these people didn't understand fully what was about to happen. This leads me to my point that I'm going to be making today, and I only have one which means I expect everybody to remember it. <laughs> so if you, have, if you are taking notes, and by the way, I encourage you to take notes every Sunday because hopefully if what I'm saying is important, you should write it down, right? And you should try to take some time to think about it and not let um, these things be forgotten. You know, oftentimes, uh, like food, right, we don't always remember what we ate last week, but we know we needed to eat to keep us alive. Uh, our sermons and, and our Bible time is like that. We might not remember uh, last week's sermon, but we know that we needed it in order to keep us going. But how much better is it to, to write these things down and commit, commit them better to memory? So my first point for you guys, and my only point today, is our expectations fail us, but God never does. Amen? Amen? Our expectations fail us, but God never does. You see, we often build up our own expectations of how we want God to answer our prayers, more so how we want God to lead our lives. We set up the rules of what we think is good and what, it, what needs to happen, and then when it doesn't happen, we feel crushed by it. But we must realize that God's ways are different from our own. Proverbs 16, 9 says that in their hearts, humans plan their course, meaning that, that we try to figure out what we're going to do and what our next steps are. But the Lord establishes their steps. You see, our natural response is, is that when things don't go to our plan, we get angry, right? And this applies to all areas of life. Home life, political life, just life. When things don't go to plan, we get angry. But we need to realize that if we truly trust in the Lord, that He is working out something for us that we might not understand. You see, 1 John 4, 8 tells us that God is love. It's a very short verse, a good verse to memorize. That 1 John 4, 18, God is love. And what does that mean if God is love? That means that every single thing that God does, that He will work it out in a way that is love. Now, this is hard to understand, right? But if I were to, to, to make an illustration or try to make it more simplified for you, I love my wife and I especially love my son. And there are times in my son's life especially where he doesn't think I'm being very loving, especially when I say no to that extra cookie. And he thinks that I'm being mean, or when I pick him up and he wants to stay where he's at, or where I tell him, no, you can't cross the street unless you're holding my hand or you're wrapped in my arms. 
And he thinks in some ways that I'm working against him, that I'm preventing him from doing what he wants to do, that I'm crushing his spirits and his will, when in reality what I'm doing is I'm loving my son well. Now this speaks to so many different things in life, but oftentimes our expectation of love is for God to continuously show us grace and show us mercy. But what if I were to tell you that love isn't just about grace and mercy, but it's also about justice and discipline and protection, and that sometimes the most loving thing that God can do in your life, and the most loving thing that I can also do is give you a rebuke. Not because I'm trying to be mean-spirited, because if I truly love you, I should help you understand who you are, whose you are, what you're doing wrong in life. Now, some of us take this too far, right? (laughs) Some of us are a little too good at being able to tell us what we're doing wrong. And the Lord has something to say to that. But the truth is, is that we can't get away from trusting God with our lives, especially when tragedy hits. And look, we're coming off of the heels of great tragedy in our country. And the sad truth is, is there's likely going to be more tragedies to talk about. Maybe it'll be a natural disaster or, you know, like we've been facing with, with living under COVID and, and, and all these things that have kind of come out of that, that just don't have to just do with COVID itself, but just even the struggle that we've faced with it. These moments are hard. But the reason why we read from Romans 8.28 today was to remind us, to remind us that God works together all things for the good of those who love Him. You see, our expectations change the way that we see the world around us. I like this quote from C.S. Lewis. He wrote this in a book called God in the Docks, and we'll put the quote for you on the screen. Now, a little bit about this book and why I like it. God in the Dock was written with the intent of putting God on trial. You see, we as modern Westerners, we have this habit of putting God on trial and being his judge versus living in a way where we realize instead we're most likely going to be the ones on trial and that God is going to be judge. But we have this tendency, right, where we, want, where, where we don't like something God did, so we put him on trial and we are his judge. But listen to what C.S. Lewis writes here. He writes this. In, in God in the Dock, C.S. Lewis wrote, um, uh, wrote this. Imagine a set of people all living in the same building. Half of them think it is a hotel. The other half think it is a prison. Those who think it's a hotel might regard it as quite intolerable. And those who thought it was a prison might decide that it was really surprisingly comfortable. 
If you think of this world as a place intended simply for our happiness, you find it quite intolerable. Did you hear that? Think of it as a place of training and correction, and it's not so bad. You see, that is oftentimes the problem. We think that God is our our magic genie of making our lives perfect with no struggle and giving us everything that we want. The car, the house, the spouse, the the puppy, the the white picket fence, you fill in the blanks, the perfect health and dying at a, a ripe old age in our sleep. But in reality, the reason why we're here and the reason why we see things operating in the way that they are is because, church, we are on a mission. If you call yourself a Christian, then know that your life is meant to be able to reflect His life. And sometimes the best way to do that is in the midst of our suffering and our struggle because we live in a broken world. So it is so important for our expectations to not line up with whatever we hear or think is in a movie or on TV, but rather our expectations line up with what we see in Scripture. Do your expectations for your life line up better with what Hollywood has to say or what God has to say? what your neighbor has to say, or what the Lord of glory has to say. You see, Jesus proved that you could live a perfect life, and you could still suffer. In fact, Jesus lived such a perfect life that I would say that his suffering was even greater than any other suffering that we would experience. And why is that? I'm tempted not to say it because I'll probably bring it up again Uh, this upcoming Easter, but I just can't help it, so it's coming out. (laughs) You see, you get mad most often when you feel like you're doing something right, and then you reap a negative consequence. But in reality, if you look at the totality of your whole entire life, there's probably many moments where you did something wrong, and you didn't get what you deserved, right? Right? Aren't there a lot of moments that you can say, man, I was a jerk, or man, I did this thing wrong, but for some reason, God's mercy came into your life, and you did not get the just punishment of what you deserve, and even more could be said about the gift of grace. Well, what about Jesus? He lived a perfect life. So if anything, he knows what it's like to actually deal with the truest form of temptation because he never gave into temptation. You see, every time you give into temptation and sin against the Lord, technically you don't know what it's like to fully resist sin, to fully resist temptation. Only Jesus truly knows what that's fully like because every opportunity he had to sin or to be tempted by something, he said no. And here we have Jesus who demonstrates a perfect life and was mercy given to him? No. Not in the slightest. Scripture actually says that the wrath of God was poured out into Jesus. 
Let's keep reading in John 11. If you have your Bibles open, keep reading with me. So it says, John 11:17 17 says, that Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died, but I know that even, uh, even now God will give you whatever you ask. John eleven twenty three, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. So this interplay ends up happening, right? Where Jesus is, is telling her, sister, you have no idea what's coming. But she's thinking that everything that, that Jesus is speaking about right now, that in, in some ways he's speaking to a platitude. He's speaking to something that, that is going to happen, but, but he, she's not really believing that, that something can happen now. Her God is kind of in a, in a box right now in some ways. Now, there's something important here to mention that this happens twice. It happens both with Martha and it happens with Mary. But something that you might not know within their culture and why I think Jesus ended up waiting two extra days to make it four days before Jesus would come and visit Lazarus is because in their culture, they had a belief that your body would hover over your, 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 your spirit would hover over the body for three days and that on the fourth day, your, your spirit would leave. So the fact that Lazarus was four days dead didn't just mean that he was dead, it meant what? He was dead dead. <laughs> that there was no opportunity for God to work a miracle in this situation. That that chance of bringing the spirit back into, or the soul back into the body, had left. So Jesus coming on the fourth day, will, as we'll see in a moment, was a sign of total power. An unmistakable miracle in the lives of all of these people that are around Jesus in something that they would never forget. So after Jesus talks to Mary and Martha, and they kind of repeat in their, their remorse of Jesus not being there on time, because they know that if he was there, something would be different. But you see, they don't believe enough that God could change the circumstance. Church, do you believe enough, though something in your life might be dead, dead, that God can resurrect that situation. Maybe that situation is a relationship that you have with somebody. Maybe that situation is a sin that you feel like you can't overcome. I don't know what it is, but you do. Do you have enough faith that God can take your dead, dead situation and bring life to it? If you don't, start believing. John eleven thirty five, the shortest verse in all of Scripture. Say it with me. Jesus wept. Now, there's two theories on why Jesus wept. 
The first theory is, is that he looks at the crowd of people and he sees people mourning and lamenting the death of Lazarus, but that they're doing it as people who don't believe in the resurrection, that don't believe in the power of God. And this causes him to, to weep because he sees this as, 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 as a lack of faith. The second theory is, is that he's just swept up and overcome by everybody's sadness that he has compassion on the people and weeps with them. I think the truth probably lies somewhere in the middle there. But either way, what is powerful about Jesus weeping is, is what do we know is about to happen? You've probably heard this story before, and, and, and to, to, to give you a spoiler now, Jesus is about to resurrect Lazarus. So why is Jesus weeping? You see, I think this is a great picture that demonstrates the beauty of our God, that even though he knows what the end of the story is going to look like, even though in a moment he's going to call a, a four-day dead body, a three-day dead body back from the dead, that he's going to be able to do this and exhibit the power of God, and that everybody in this area, specifically Martha and Mary, are going to be shown how little and weak their faith is, that even though he knows all of this, he still takes compassion on the situation and weeps. This should encourage you because it means that even though God knows the end of your situation, that he still has compassion all through the journey of what you are going through. That encourages me and I hope it encourages you. I love it when Jesus calls Lazarus out. It says in verse 38, Jesus once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Jesus in verse 39 says, Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, I did not tell you, or did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? That just gives me chills. So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he, said, when he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Some pastors before my generation like to say, and he had to specifically say Lazarus, because if not, everybody would have awoken in the tomb and come out. But he says, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. How good of a picture is that about our own lives? And when God comes in and he resurrects our own life, that we are to strip off the grave clothes of our life, that we're to strip off everything that, that represented our death and our decay, and we're allowed to come back out into this world as renewed life, renewed faith, renewed resurrected bodies. Amen? 
Could you tell I'm pumped for Easter? <laughs> Church, this is the gospel. And it's so much better than what I'm describing right now. You know, typically a Palm Sunday message has an element talking about the donkey, Hosanna, and I love those stories. But there's something powerful about this story. Because in some ways, this was the dress rehearsal to what was going to happen on Easter Sunday. And I love that. And if you want to be reminded by God's love, I want to share one more powerful point in John chapter 11. It says in verse 53, so from that day on, they plotted to take his life. Whose life? Jesus' life. Why is that important? Because it means that Jesus was still willing to work a miracle even if he knew that that miracle would be the very thing that causes the people, the high priests and, and others in Jerusalem to persecute him. How much more in your own life does this remind you and, and, and speak to the fact that sometimes when you live a life that is in alignment with the Lord, that others, maybe even in the church, will persecute you, judge you, and resist you. In this particular case, I love that it shows and demonstrates that, that Jesus was willing to walk this road, even though he knew that doing this miracle, which could be undeniably God, would cause the people to want to finally kill him. It was this very moment, this miracle, out of all the miracles that he did, that would open the doors to plotting out the death of Christ. But he was still willing to walk it. Church, you're here today by no coincidence or mistake. And for anybody that's listening online still with us, the same is true for you. Our expectations may fail us, but today I believe God wants to remind you that even though your expectations in life may fail you, that God never does. Amen. And I don't know what tragedy, what struggle you're dealing with, but I want to use this story and this sermon as a reminder and an opportunity for you to, to stop resisting God, to stop putting God on trial, and instead just live a little bit more like this. And say, Lord, I don't understand what I'm going through right now, why I'm going through it, but I trust, Father, that you love me and that you're going to work this out for the good in my life and the life of others. I think if you do that, especially during this week, that you will honor God's memory well, that you'll honor what Christ did, and perhaps you might be able to change the narrative of your story 
and maybe change someone else's. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and we recognize that what happens in these incredible moments of opening up your word, that you confront us in a positive way with our sin, with our struggle, with the things that worry us, our fears, our, our lack of faith. And Father, we recognize that we need you to be able to work in us. Because without you, Father, we are just broken vessels. I pray, Lord, for anybody here today that has dealt with past trauma and tragedies in their life or who are maybe feeling like they're going through that right now, that you would help them and that you would begin to just change their perspective and realize that, 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 that you don't need to be on trial, Lord, but rather they just need to open up their hands as best as they can and allow you to give them the peace, the comfort, the joy to be able to deal with whatever they're going through. Lord, I know, I know it is difficult. But Father, on this holy week, we want to very well remember what you have done for us. I want you to take a moment now, with your eyes still closed, and just think about whatever tragedy, whatever expectation you've been holding on to, to and that has maybe in some ways jaded or caused struggle for you and your relationship with God. And I want you to think about that right now. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if that's you because <laughs> in reality, I think every hand would have to go up anyways. So I want you to think about that right now. Because this message isn't just meant to make you feel good, it's, it's meant to change us. That's what God's Word does, it changes us. So I want you to think about that right now, and I just, in your heart of hearts, you can say it aloud if you want, I just want you to say, Lord, I give this to you. I trust you with my life. I thank you for what you do in my life, even if I don't always understand. We ask these things in Jesus' precious, holy, wonderful name. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. heading to the cross where he paid for all of our sins and he remembered each one of those stories that we each hold in our heart. If you would stand with me and sing Jesus paid it all.
Timothy Keller, uh, a pastor in the Northeast, uh, who you may have heard of before, he writes this. The fact is, a lot of Christians are cast down all the time because they don't expect the attacks on their peace and joy that are inevitable. At least half of being upset is the frustration that says, it's not supposed to be like this, because we don't have proper expectations. This week, my challenge, my application that I would like for you to do is I'd like for you to revisit some of the things that you feel like are failed expectations in your own life. It could be even something that comes up this week. And just before you allow yourself to get frustrated or angry with the situation or with God, and, and trust me, I'm preaching to myself right now, I want to challenge you to instead take this moment to say, Lord, I might not get it, but I know that you do. And help me to just yield this situation to you, Father, and trust you in it. Could we do that? Could we do this this week? Awesome. Well, we hope that we see you on the Good Friday service at 7 p.m. It's going to be such a special, special time. It's different than what we've done before. And uh, if you can't make it then, we hope to see you as we celebrate our risen Lord this upcoming or this next Sunday. So until then, may each of you go in peace, and we're always here for you. God bless you.